Hey, everybody. Uh, this is Jonah. Uh, before we get to the show, uh, I wanted to let you know that the Dispatch is now offering you a chance to experience a full membership for the next 30 days risk-free. There's a lot of information chaos out there, and with the Biden administration on the move, Democrats in charge on the Hill, and Republicans going through a wholesale realignment, the Dispatch is here to help you make sense of what's really important and what's worth your time. During this 30-day trial, you'll have access to member-only editions of all our Dispatch newsletters, including my own, David's, Sarah's, um, and of course, uh, so much more. Plus, you'll be able to join our members-only Dispatch Live virtual gatherings, which are always a hoot, even when I'm sober, which is rare. It's our sincere hope that you find the Dispatch membership to be valuable and something worth sticking with after the 30-day trial. If you don't, you can cancel at any time. To take advantage of this offer, go to thedispatch.com slash free30. That's thedispatch.com forward slash F-R-E-E and the number 30. Thedispatch.com slash free30. Ladies and gentlemen, uh... can I please have your attention? Daniel Digger! <laughs> Greetings, dear listeners. This is Jonah Goldberg, host of the Remnant Podcast, brought to you by the Dispatch and Dispatch Media. No, you're not listening to this at one and a half speed. It's just that I'm in that much of a hurry to get this thing started. This is a grand tradition of this podcast. This is the third annual is the wrong word, but it's the third um, commemorative half-baked ideas episode with uh, none other than uh, Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin, Congressman. This was his idea originally. He pitched this as like we should do half-baked ideas podcast, and um, this will be the third real one that we have done. Um, I know I got a lot of blowback from my recent Dan Crenshaw episode for not asking enough hard-hitting punditry-type questions, so we're going to get one out of the way and then move on to the uh, um, the real stuff. Uh, but first, Mike, thank you for being here. I, I assume I can call you Mike. You can call me Mike. Although I thought I was a five-timer, so it's only three. I got... No, you were on like twice, and on the second okay. one, you pitched doing half-baked ideas as a uh, standalone episode. When do I get the jacket, the, the five-timers club? It's coming. It's coming. It's, it, you got to get it fit. So um, the first thing I got to say, uh, also for listeners' benefit, is that, uh, again, this was the congressman's idea. Uh, he is the corrupting force here. He wanted to do this over drinks. So we actually have two large bottles of brown liquor here. I brought uh, the Jameson spinoff uh, Black Barrel. And he brought Amador uh, uh, Double Barrel. It's a Kentucky bourbon whiskey finished with Napa Valley wine barrels. I'm very excited to try it. And um, so if things get a little weird, you now know why. Um, and with that, my first half-baked idea. A congressman from the Green Bay area of Wisconsin primaries Senator Ron Johnson. Go! 
<laughs> I think uh, former Congressman Mike Green, uh, Mark Green, who is now head of the Woodrow Wilson Institute, will have to do a lot of convincing to get him. Uh, that is never going to happen, Jonah, at all. But nice try on your rank punditry idea. Okay, so you, you, you can't explain why that would never happen? You're not interested in the job? You were too fond of your fellow Badger State, you know, uh, Republican? Is it? Is it? Is it, it, it is both my my fondness uh, for my fellow state uh, Badger, my fellow Badger State Republican, as well as uh, I just don't think anyone is interested in sort of the nerdy half baked ideas brand of politics that I bring at this present moment. Uh, look, if Wisconsin isn't, I don't know what state is, frankly. <laughs> but um, that's you a, should have asked this question at the end of the interview after I've had like five whiskeys. But okay, put a pin in that. No, idea. Ser- sincerely, I, I actually <laughs> we have a late primary process in, in Wisconsin, and so I actually think the best chance of us retaining the seat is for Ron Johnson to run again, just so we avoid a, a primary process, which is going to get bloody. And it seems like so far, all of these statewide primaries are becoming a weird exercise in just trying to get Trump's endorsement, right? Yes which is what I saw in the Ohio primary and things like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, Trump could have just, down at Mar-a-Lago, when all those guys went down there and begged, he could have just broken a pool cue in half and said, we're going to have tryouts, (laughs) (laughs) which actually, not a bad half-baked idea. It's like trial by combat. I mean, Giuliani's already endorsed it. A lot lot of our past half-baked ideas and a lot of the ones I'm bringing to the table today are in that sort of category of trial by combat, bringing back a physical requirement to running for office. I like it. I like it. Okay, so... Uh, with that out of the way, and we'll put a pin on, on my follow-up questions until you've had more whiskey. Um, what is your first half-baked idea? Are we going to break divide this up into themes, or are we just going to go rapid fire at each other? I, there's no logic to my list. Okay, my, I, so nine, just to bring nine. bring uh, your listeners into the process here, when we did this a year ago, I started a half-baked ideas file, a simple word file, and as these half-baked ideas would come to me throughout the year, I would throw them in this word document, which I opened for the first time in terms of looking at it. Uh, as a, a whole document this morning. To read, so yeah. It has not been ordered in any logical fashion. Okay. But the first thing I have written there is is Gold Jacket because the comment about the Five Timers Club uh-huh. reminds me of my original half-baked idea, which I actually don't know if I ever mentioned on this show. Okay, but uh, actually, we, uh, one last gift to new listeners, because we have some since last time we were here, is uh, what we mean by a half-baked idea, idea is kind of wacky, uh, it is outside the box, but adjacent enough to the box that you can make a good argument for it, even if you haven't thought it all the way through. That sound fair? Yeah. And one of the things that started this is a, a passion of both of ours, which is making Greenland the 51st state. Uh, maybe a territory at first, try it out, training wheels, that kind of thing, get everyone used to the herring, but eventually make it a state. Anyway, so uh, getting back to... Um, the issue at hand. What is your first one, the gold jacket thing? Well, my gold jacket idea uh, really goes back a decade and a half when I felt like in my 20s, I was a very, I was a big, not at the risk of sounding very arrogant. I was uh-huh. a big value add when it came to bachelor parties and weddings. You know, I like dancing. <laughs> uh-huh. I like having a good time. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and, and uh, I feel like it's important that you show up for someone's bachelor party and wedding. But there are times when you are the person who introduces the bride and the groom, but you're not close enough with either of them that you would be in the wedding party, right? Yet were it not for you introducing them, and I have at least one wedding that I'm responsible for that I introduced the bride and the groom, uh, you don't get a place of honor at the wedding. So my thought is that if you're the person that introduced the bride and the groom, but you don't have rank enough to be in the wedding party or the best man or the maid of honor, you should have a gold jacket that you get to wear at the wedding. 
So people look at you in the crowd. They're like, oh, that's the dude who like it. is responsible for the day. People are getting you drinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are high-fiving you. It's just a way to honor the person who really made it happen, even if that person's not your super close friend. Yeah, you can, you can come up with a, I mean, uh, I don't think this is the actual, absolute best I, term for it, but you could call it something like the Yenta jacket, right? Because in, in my tradition, it's like the Yenta who introduces the nice boy to the nice girl and all that kind of stuff. And it's a point of pride to wear the Yenta jacket. I mean, we can come up with something in Gaelic or whatever your people, you know. So the, I guess the, I, I, I floated this by um, some female friends of my wife and, and I that really introduced us. And they said, well, we don't want to wear a gold jacket. So what they came up with for women is gold slippers. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So one of them actually wore, Bonnie Bing, shout out, uh, gold slippers to our wedding because she is responsible for introducing us. So Strong. I like it. At the it's risk of wading into controversial gender politics, there's a male and a female equivalent of this idea. I understand. Or, 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 or there are people who identify as male or female who uh, both have Hey, choose adaptation. slippers, yeah. choose the jacket, whatever you want. I don't whatever care. Whatever All that about. matters is good people are coming together and for a lifelong of happiness. Okay. Um, I don't know. You know, I'm a, I'm a little older than you. and I watched, a, lot, a lot older. And you. I watched a lot more TV than you did while you were off doing manly warrior things. So um, you may not remember the, t the movie The Last Starfighter which was not not good, not technically good. It was what experts- He's got like a round spaceship in this one. No, no, it's 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 more of like a cylindrical I thing. believe there's a cylindrical space traveling thing in the film. I think that's fair guess. I mean, and it's really the real most important takeaway. So, but one of the things they have in this is it was during the high water mark of video game playing in the 1980s, if I remember this correctly. And- the thing was, is they distributed video games, like arcade video games, to find like the chosen one, who was this kid, who was like sort of like a, a Dalai Lama thing, but with video games. Because he, if he was really good at this video game, he would be a great starfighter, something along those lines. I think, and maybe this is, I got a feeling that there's some of this kind of stuff already going on. The military should contract with one of the big video game makers to come up with something that aligns with certain warfighting skills, either whether it's, it's hacking or, or situational awareness, I don't know, flying things, whatever. And they get to use the data and find the person. And, the, and if you score really well on that, it should track somehow with a usable military skill and get you on the radar for certain kinds of scholarships that otherwise you might not get for kids who just play video games. Interesting. So if you're super good at Fortnite or some game that correlates bizarrely with right. some military skill, you're all of a sudden on the government radar. Right. Although if you're a gamer, mm -hmm. you're probably kind of don't tread on me. I don't like government spying. Is there not a tension between the idea that the game company would be and there is this whole sort of idea of the metaverse where it's basically going to be like Ready Player One, that yeah, book, yeah, where yeah. people can live sort of in an alternative universe anonymously. I just wonder if you'd run into some privacy concerns. With you might. I, so, I like it. But what you could do is you could have sort of like achievement level unlocked when you get when you really are impressive at this thing. And a code would appear on the screen saying, you are in the elite of blah, 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 blah. If you are interested, go to this website and plug in this code, and we will talk to you about career opportunities. That way, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. I like that. Yeah. This would also help us bridge the growing divide between the tech community and DoD. So that's yeah. a, another ancillary benefit. Reminds me of a subplot of Ender's Game, where he's like at his bed playing 
a video game. I always thought that was the weirdest component of that book. Good book, by the way. Do you have strong thoughts on Ender's Game? I do not. You know, I never read Ender's Game. What? I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm gonna get. That, Are you not a sci-fi? I was a sci-fi guy, but I was more of a Dune guy. Like me, I, I turned uh, Jackie Butts. Jackie Butts. <laughs> Joe Gum and Butts. I forgot. <laughs> Joe Gum. Great to be back. I, I, I Joe Gum Butts. Can I call you Butts? I know you're not. I know you're not Jack Butler, but I'm gonna call you Butts for the rest of the interview. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, go ahead. Okay, so a bit of a housekeeping, and then it'll get me into kind of a big, a big idea. I believe I want your your legion of listeners to to check this. I believe on a previous episode we made a comment about it could have been the last one, mm-hmm. putting Chick Fil A in charge of testing and vaccination, and how good of an idea that would have been at the start of this process because Chick Fil A is incredibly efficient. Mm. I've seen that idea subsequently bubble up in conservative Twitter. And I just uh-huh. want to make sure that we get the credit we deserve for it. You sound like you, you, you look like you, this does is not ringing a bell. No, I think I, I, I'm just going to need to have my crack staff you get your investigate staff. on this one. But the real point I wanted to make is, okay, right now the Democrats are going insane with uh-huh. their spending plans, right? Uh-huh. $2 trillion for everything's infrastructure, your uh-huh. infrastructure, I'm infrastructure, this microphone's infrastructure, the whiskey's infrastructure. You made a great point, which I stole crediting you, so I didn't steal, I borrowed, um, about how amazing it is that so many of the line items in the infrastructure bill add up to $100 billion. Um, it was just such a weird coincidence, you know? <laughs> anyway, go on. I mean, what are the odds that the, in that line item it'd be $100 billion and then they're all $100 billion? Right, um, and who goes to the supermarket and says, you have to spend $100 in aisle three, $100 right. in aisle five? <laughs> that's right. Um, okay, so for $2 trillion, uh-huh. Think about what we could actually buy. I mean, if we're spending the money, we might as well spend it the right way. Mm-hmm. Methinks, Joe Go, uh-huh. that you could buy Greenland for that money. For sure. You could buy, what else have we talked about? Before? You could certainly install pull-up bars in every airport yes. in America, yes. thereby solving the health crisis we have in America. Uh, you could build a bunch of semiconductor fabrication sites. You could fix our shipbuilding problem. You could pour a bunch of money into AI, strategic research, and you still have enough money left over to vaccinate the rest of the world yeah. and sort of win vaccine diplomacy going forward. So mm-hmm. I wonder if there's a way to jujitsu this terrible infrastructure bill and spending plan into at least the annexation of Greenland. Well, look, Greenland is infrastructure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, not to get all punditry on this, but uh, the problem we have, and this is, I think is a bigger problem with our culture, is we seem to think that if we win ling- linguistic things, we win reality. And so like, because the American people think infrastructure is a good thing, if you can just call something infrastructure, therefore like you win some sort of argument, you know? And it's, 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 that's not how it works. It's like, just because you call something infrastructure doesn't make it infrastructure. As I said on special report last night, we had to come up with headlines for tomorrow and I came up with this jokey one about how Biden administration, because you know, the Biden administration's argument is anything that helps you be a productive member of the economy and go to work, um, is infrastructure, so childcare is infrastructure and all that. And my point is, if that's the logic, then uh, the Biden administration should declare pants are in- infrastructure because in the post-pandemic, non-Zoom economy, I got to go out into the real world. And, you know, Jogo's got to wear pants, buddy. Jogo. <laughs> For the listener, Jogo's not wearing pants right now. In case anyone's wondering. I'm uh, wearing a spaghetti strainer as a codpiece. It's really, it's distracting. Like, Gallery can't keep his eyes up here. My eyes are up here. Wait, but isn't it true, though? Isn't that why the left does it? If you win the linguistic fight, you do, it does have an effect on, on reality, right? I mean, look at the debate over equity, which is almost right. like a deviously brilliant 
portmanteau. Am I saying that right? Of, sure. <laughs> of equality and opportunity or some other word that sounds not objectionable. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I, I think this is part of the sort of exporting of campus BS where people think the, the most important thing in the world is how you manipulate language. And if you win that, you win arguments. And um, and remember, it's, in some ways, it's the triumph of like George Lakoff. Do you remember George Lakoff? You, no. you, know, you were off duking it out with Charlie or whoever, or Johnny Taliban. But um, Charlie. Uh, um, uh, it's one of the most lasting phrases I got out of um, um, uh, Back to School with Ronnie Dangerfield. This is where, this is where he does the triple Lindy off the high dive. Yeah, which is a fantastic movie. Yeah. And, it's, and, and Sam Kinison is... I got a whole pop culture section okay. at the end here. I want to make sure we leave but time But Sam Kinison's yelling at not Ronnie Dangerfield. By the way, how, am I at my own leisure to... Yeah, actually, I'll, let me open this up. So we're opening up the Jameson's Black Barrel. And um, I should have brought a knife or something. I appreciate and, uh, the, the nod to my Irish heritage. That was very thoughtful of you. Um, well, I'm a, I mean, I know this is shocking. I'm a big Jameson's fan. And, um, I, but the tragedy is I originally started drinking it because it was something I felt like I had to sip. And now that I've acquired such a taste for it, I don't really sip it <laughs> too well. Um, anyway, Sam Kinison has this thing where he says, I was often named duking it out with Charlie, which I think is just a wonderful line. Anyway, um, where was I? Um, oh, language. George Lakoff was this linguist guy out of, uh, I think, Berkeley 10 years ago. And his whole shtick was how you win politics is just by changing the terms of debate. And so he's like, don't call them trial lawyers. Call them community protection attorneys. And I'll, like somehow that will change what they do and that kind of thing. And the Obama administration changed uh, uh, rogue state to nation of concern or something like that, right? I mean, it's this kind of game playing. And I think the infrastructure thing is part of that. But anyway, I'm with you. Okay. Greenland is infrastructure. I'm just saying we could, all of our previous half-baked ideas could be funded at one-fourth of the cost mm -hmm. of the Biden mm -hmm. administration's non-infrastructure infrastructure package. Right, and this is just the, and by the way, I know I'm immature, but if I have to keep hearing politicians and reporters very earnestly talk about enormous packages. I'm going to start to lose it. Anyway, uh, be that as it may, uh, it's also just the first of two, right? He's got a second infrastructure yeah. thing that he wants to do later, you know, and you start doing two trillion here, two trillion there. You start talking about real money. By the way, is there's like, I think there's a criticism of, of Mayor Pete or, or Secretary Pete that I, I haven't heard yet, which is he's supposed to be sort of this young, clearly incredibly intelligent mm -hmm. guy. But if you, if you think about it, it's a remarkably outdated approach to think you can just funnel two trillion dollars not only through the existing bureaucracy that was built by the boomers and mm -hmm. is very byzantine to continue the alliteration uh but layering additional bureaucracy on top of it it's like a, remar a remarkably backward looking proposal when you really dig into it there's no creative financing options and I, it just doesn't make any sense to me yeah i remember when um uh before our philosophies diverged so starkly. Um, having a conversation with uh, uh, Devin Nunes about the Obama stimulus. And he made, I thought, a very good argument. He was like, look, you want to spend this on shovel-ready stuff? You want to spend this on infrastructure to stimulate the economy, Keynesian multipliers and all that kind of stuff? Fine. It's roughly $800 billion. You give every member of Congress $1 or $2 billion or $1 billion to spend in their district as they see fit. And then you do the other $400 billion however you want to. We know our districts better than you do. 
let us do that. Like, no, 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 no. We can't do that. I always thought that was not a not, that was to, a good half baked idea. Call back to a previous half baked idea, which was give every member of Congress a million dollars if they balance the federal budget, and suddenly our debt issues would go away. I like it. actually that reminds me. I'm going to skip ahead. I have a half baked idea. Um, give bonuses to prisons for every year uh, released felons do not commit another crime. So do not re- can you use recidivate I, as a verb? I don't know. That's why I, <laughs> that's the panic in I my thought, eyes that you saw I there. Saw, yeah. I was trying to figure out that. So it's an anti-recidivism uh, incentive structure, right? So that would encourage prisons to come up with programs that actually work to rehabilitate people rather than just um, park them there. I like that. Yeah. Incentives. Yeah. It works. We like incentives. What did we learn in the pandemic? You pay people not to work, they won't work. People yeah. respond to incentives. I really like that idea. All I'm right. going to steal that. You got it. It's yours. Okay. Does that count? So my, is it back to me? It's then? back to you. Okay. We've talked previously, I believe, about a single subject amendment to the Constitution. Uh, I'm in favor of such an amendment. I, I believe I have co-sponsored bills to that effect. But recently we've had- what is, wait, I'm sorry, remind me what a single subject amendment to the Basically, and some states have single subject amendments to the Constitution. So as opposed to an omnibus bill that is about everything under the sun, uh-huh. a bill could only be about one thing. Oh, I got you. Right, okay. so to limit this process, and the, this gets to my point where, you know, on Christmas Eve, every two years, you know, we have a 5,000 word bill that nobody reads and it's just everything, right? And mm-hmm. it's and we had this happen in the waning days of the Trump administration. So this kind of relates in my mind to the, the pull-up bar proposal. There should be some sort of rule that if you can't physically lift or do some sort of exercise with the bill that you're voting on, perhaps lunges while holding the bill overhead like across like from walking, lunging from the House to the Capitol, to the Senate side of the U.S. Capitol, mm-hmm. then you are not allowed to vote yes on that bill. See I what like, I'm saying? I like it. I like it. So it's not quite, it's sort of feats of strength, you know, yeah. but it, you know, there's, there's merit to it. I was thinking... Like, you can explain this to me. Like, most legislation has some sort of executive summary kind of thing. Mm -hmm. If you can't read it in a normal speaking voice for the length of one elevator ride, then it is automatically null and void. Um, Just because, like, it shouldn't be that complicated. Or if the description of the bill is a... A a Marshall Plan for uh-huh. this or it's some out. sort of you're just out. Yeah, yeah. Corollary to my idea. And, and if you say on the floor, if we could put a man on the moon, we can do this. It's out. Um. By the way, I, I believe. Check me on this, fact checkers. Uh-huh. Just the electric vehicle component of the infrastructure plan uh-huh. spends more in real dollars, adjusted for inflation, than we did on the entire Marshall Plan. Just to put the Mayor Pete stuff in context. Uh, corollary to my, you must be able to lift and strict military press mm-hmm. a 5,000 word bill in order to vote yes on it. Mm-hmm. Presidential candidates should be required to pass the presidential fitness test in order to run. Discuss. Interesting. Interesting. This is the ablest community is going to come after you on this, dude. <laughs> um, and, um, uh, well, I, if you had an actual disability, of course, there would be exemptions. A, exemptions to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're you're not saying I'm saying I, it's like able-bodied adult males uh-huh. should work and not collect social security disability benefits, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. We make that discrimination. Sure. Or we sure. try to and fail in many uh-huh. cases. Yeah. Okay. Well, you don't seem fired up. Well, no, no, no. Just, I was I was gonna make all sorts of inappropriate jokes, and I'm trying to be a better man. So I'm not. Um, so we're, we're, I'm gonna move on on that one. Um, 
All right, very quickly. Uh, all right, I'm going to skip ahead because we're still on politics right now. Um, I want a reality show that puts a team of Democrats, Democratic congressmen, and a team of Republican con congressmen and women on an island, survivor style. And um, in the beginning, it's red versus blue, but then it changes up and people have to work together. Because, you know, I'm all about the kumbaya these days and, the, and, the, and fostering bipartisanship. And I think it would be... It really uh, comes out in your writing. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm I like very that. sensitive. Yeah. I like that. Um, this actually, I, sw I swear, you can check me on this, ties in with my next idea, which is just a statement of my own ambition, mm -hmm. which is not what you alluded to before. I would like to be the next host of The Bachelor. If Aaron Rodgers can be can host Jeopardy, uh -huh. I believe I could host The Bachelor. What what, what is what is what does your wife think about this? She idea? likes it because I've I've actually demonstrated that. So Chris Harrison, I mean, was the greatest grift in the modern economy. He just uh -huh. shows up once an episode. I'm not saying I, I watched The Bachelor. Uh -huh. I, I, oh, you, you want to host? You don't want to be the contestant? No, no, no. Oh, I thought you yeah, said yeah, you yeah. wanted to be the Bachelor. Which I thought yeah, your wife is no. fine with that. Okay, Come that's on. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but I, did, I did a friend, my friend Molly, who lives in D.C., she said there should be a reality show called Man of the House, which is like a single congressman uh -huh. dating life in D.C. and all the political complications that, that come with that. Uh, so First season with Matt Gates would be lit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's what your... your first question was going to be about but chris harrison just comes in and he said he says one thing an episode and he collects like a what a hundred thousand dollar check per yeah episode. No, it it's, seems like the greatest gift it's a it's good work there. if you can get so, it so yeah. i just that's just a statement but I, I like your i like your idea so how uh -huh. would these uh members of congress be forced to compete would there how would you stoke tension would you well i mean i i do in all fairness i think it would be like unfair to have like Maxine Waters doing the obstacle course. I mean, like some of these people have, have aged out of some of this, but we could find- It's ageist. It is ageist, and I'm going to stand by it. Um, uh, we, we could find 12 or 24 able-bodied Republicans and Democrats who can do this kind of thing. And maybe, you know, after the whole like gutting and field dressing a Komodo dragon and eating it and all that kind of stuff- at somewhere towards the end, you have to work on a piece of bipartisan legislation to to, to get to the next level. I don't know. Well, but. this ties to a lot of our our feats of strength, uh -huh. like trial by combat uh, ideas. I think. Oh yeah. If so work me through. Do you have any more trial by combat stuff? Uh, let me see on that. But I, I do. I am reminded of this moment at the beginning of this Congress when we actually had a remarkable showing uh, as Republicans. We we won a lot of seats that mm -hmm, people didn't mm -hmm. think we were going to win. And you know, you get together at the beginning of Congress and there's a big kumbaya session, and they're and they're like our our caucus is stronger. It's stronger. And I thought, is it? Do mm -hmm. we know? I mean, do we know the physical stats of, <laughs> of the new members? Do we know what they deadlift? Do we know how many dead hang pull-ups they can do? Uh -huh. Do we uh -huh. know what they bench? I, I don't know. I just would like to know these things because if the zombie apocalypse happens, yeah, yeah. I want to know who I can rely upon. Yeah. I mean, I'm left relying upon Crenshaw and a, a motley crew of other people like Mike Waltz and others who are pretty weak when yeah. I think about it. Yeah. So. Yeah, physically, I mean, not uh -huh. intellectually, they're very strong. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, so I just would like to know if we are actually physically stronger as a caucus. So, so, so I, I, I remember when I was a teenager and I was into weightlifting for a little while, and and my dad, who is a very bookish Jewish intellectual, he said, "Why do you care so much about being stronger?" And and 
once he, one of the, I tried like physical fitness. He said, yeah, no, I get being healthy. I get, I get, I get that. Like being healthy is good. Fine, fine. What benefit do you get from being physically stronger? And it's actually, in my background, a kind of hard question to answer. Once you hit a certain threshold, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it's like, like, we have machines now that do a lot of lifting and pushing and, and pulling and that kind of thing. So, I mean, like, what, what, why do you think as um, a principle of governance, I'm trying to think what the, what the sort of, you know, cacastocracy, cacaocracy, cacastocracy? I don't know what that means. Well, it's, you know, caca means crap, right? Yeah. It's rule of the worst, right? So there are all these interesting different kinds of stocracies, right? I don't know what rule of the strongest, physically strongest would be, but um, I will find out before this podcast airs, regardless. Um, what, is, what is your argument for why members of Congress should be physically strong? I have two. Strong I have, like bulls. I have two arguments. Uh, one is that it has been my own experience, uh, who, as someone who was not, who is and was not that strong and did not prioritize physical fitness until I joined the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. But there is a I connection. I hear that has that effect on you. Indeed, yeah. indeed. There is a connection between physical strength and mental health, mental strength. Mm -hmm. I, I genuinely believe that. And uh, two, well, I, I'll have the three. Mm -hmm. Two, we have a, a skyrocketing uh, problem with obesity mm -hmm. in this mm -hmm. country, mm -hmm. uh, child obesity in particular. Mm -hmm. A lot of people aren't even qualified to join the military. Yeah. And three, for everyone who thinks that future wars are going to be fought by AI-enabled drones, and it's going to be robot on robot. Just look at the worst, fact. Worst porn. Worst <laughs> robot on robot is just awful. Anyway, go on. The title of this episode should be <laughs> Why My Gallagher Will Never Get Reelected to Anything. And, Sorry, uh, what, did, what happened last year? We had Indian soldiers and PLA soldiers Engaging in hand-to-hand -hand combat yeah, yeah. in the mountains. So yeah. you never know yeah. when your tech is going to fail yeah. and all you're left with are your fists. By the way, a year ago at this time, remember we were all like trying to get a, a you know, toilet paper at Costco. Uh -huh. We're all freaking out because we didn't know how bad this was going to be. I emailed a buddy of mine who I serve with in the Marine Corps who's an FBI agent. Just to, like he, he's my first draft pick when the zombie apocalypse happened. Uh -huh. Man's man. Yeah. And I said, what, what should I do? What should I get? How should I prepare? And I'm thinking he's going to say, get some canned goods and this. He comes back with this elaborate list that's, you need fishing line in case you need to fish. You need iodine to purify uh, yeah. the water. And you need a surgical kit in case you need to do a field expedient, you know, tourniquet yeah. and this and that. And I said, wow. Crazy glue to close wounds. I'm, you know? <laughs> I'm really not prepared for, for this at all. I do want to point out, as we were moving into our third brand liquor port serving. Um, when I asked you why politicians should be physically strong, you quickly changed it to why if you're, f if you're stuck in a, in the Hindu Kush fighting the PLA, you might want to be physically strong. I concede that point, but why, if you can't get cloture, should you be like, well, did, super did we strong? Not, did we not have a previous half-baked idea that involves settling legislative disputes Physically, yeah, yeah and would yeah. it not be would it not reduce human suffering to solve uh, geopolitical disputes leader to leader, or you nominate? Yeah, you're it's your president against the chairman of the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, I mean yeah. that would reduce human suffering. I mean, 
It'd be one yeah, person dying Putin versus millions. Yeah, except would beat a lot of... jujitsu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a theory that he's actually not that good at jujitsu, that it's all a PR stunt. Yeah, but you want to... I'll take this bet right now. He's better at it than Angela Merkel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Murray never underestimated Merkel. Okay, who's up? Okay, yeah. I, got, I got one. Uh, okay. Since we're on the subject of physical fitness and whatnot, you know, a subject I am entirely familiar with in the abstract... Um, a gym membership where you pay less money the more often you go. So, oh, I love that. If you go every day, they almost have it as a loss, right? Or it just barely covers costs. I love that. And the incentive structure is there. I actually think it would be great for selling memberships because people in the beginning would be like, oh, this is great for me. I need a financial incentive. And then, you know, for you know, Jimmy Chunga nights later, they're like, eh, whatever. But like, I, I think it's a great idea. So you for think gym. the gyms would actually profit? Because I do. Interesting. Love this idea. Uh-huh. Can't think of a counter argument. Um, and if if gyms are committed to the the mission statements that they put on their website, what what's not to like about it? Yeah, at all. I mean, I, I, I they will lose a fortune on Jim Jordan, but so be it. Um, Jim Jordan, I will go. Into the house gym at the most random times, uh-huh. back when we were allowed to go in the house gym, uh-huh. just because I used to have to change clothes in there when I lived in my office. And it, it'd be 3.30 in the afternoon, and Jim would just be full sweat, on the elliptical, uh-huh. just going after it. I mean, the guy's always working out. Yeah, well, yeah working it's, out. it's the best way to turn a blind eye to abuses in the wrestling program. Uh- <laughs> Um, okay, so how dare you? Uh, so, yeah, yeah, wait, that's no, my turn. I'm sorry, your turn. Okay, so I have a nine and a half month old uh, baby daughter. Uh, she's the babies best. are good. Thank you. They're, off. they're awesome. Um, so she's kind of crawling around and doing all this stuff. She's really leans into the army crawl where she drags herself along the floor. Mm-hmm. I feel like if we just made her onesie out of whatever material a Swiffer is made out of, we could kind of get a Roomba effect going on Mm -hmm. via the baby. So the baby would be developing their gross and fine motor skills. Uh The floor would be getting cleaner. It just two birds, one stone. Baby Swiffer, boom. I like it. I see no downsides to it. I do have two thoughts. One is a question. When you say the army crawl, is that distinct from like a marine crawl? I mean, I assume even under like barbed wire, right? Yeah. But, so she's not. She doesn't like being up on her knees. So uh-huh. she kind of she uses her arms and right. one leg to kind of drag herself, which is actually worse from a developmental perspective, mm-hmm. but better, better for from cleaning. a cleaning floor yes. perspective. Okay. So it's a really mixed bag. Also, what you could do is you could get shag carpeting. Yes. And put a little generator thing on her, and the static electricity is. Carbon neutral, um, and could help power. I don't know an easy bake oven or something. I know. I mean, there, there, there's you know. Where's that, Mayor Pete? Exactly. Where's that kind of forward thinking in the infrastructure plan? You know what I would have liked to have seen Mayor Pete do is rather than take his security detail and get dropped off near work and get on a bike to show that he was pro bike. Um, I didn't even see that. It, oh, yeah, it was, it's fantastic. He was busted with someone with an iPhone. He's like getting out of his SUV with his whole thing, and he gets on the bike, so he gets the photo out riding a bike. I would rather see him in a onesie crawling across shag carpeting on his way to the de- Department of Transportation, generating carbon neutral electricity for Good all for of him us. politically. Yeah. I will I will literally crawl across shag carpeting in order to solve our infrastructure problem. That's yeah. that's his 2028. What is that? Does that math line up? 
Yeah. Or 2032. I think it'll be 35 by then. Yeah. Okay. uh, Good stuff there. Okay. uh, Let's see. I'm going to do two quick ones. Uh, One, the glasses I'm wearing right now, they're like kind of douchey where if you go out in the sun, they they get really dark. Um, uh, You know, these solar tint. Really? Yeah. They should make them for contact lenses. So like your eyeballs just get like Android black. You know, that, I think that would be really cool when you go out and. I love that. Do you um, watch Black Mirror? A few episodes. I didn't. I, I didn't get hugely into it. I keep meaning okay. to go back. Um, and then um, another one, which a friend of mine told me. Some of these come from friends and and internet and wherever. But yeah. a friend of mine told me this one, and then another friend on my group text because I have this group text of, of reprobates, um, told me it actually exists. But a special suit that you wear when you go to buy a real suit. It's like a little vacuum suit that you get in and it sh- with sensors and it shrink wraps to your body for a second and gives you perfect measurements so that when you get a suit, it can be perfectly tailored to your actual body. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. So I, well, I wonder though if that would increase a trend I'm seeing. Not that I watch The Bachelor with my wife because I don't, obviously, because I'm a man. Yeah, you're, uh, you're, uh, for a guy who's never seen The Bachelor, you are uh, just, it's amazing how you have the transcendental imagination. Did, yeah. If uh, I did, Jonah, uh, there's a trend of super form-fitting suits, and I'm all for the European cut. The, Arthur getting, Brooks used to be my boss. I know this. Yeah, it's the <laughs> Arthur Brooksification yeah. of the modern American male, which yeah. I actually think looks more effeminate than it does manly at past a certain point stipulating that people disagree about whether effeminate is a bad thing um i agree i'm not saying you. it's good or bad yeah, i'm just saying a, it a, is. aesthetically i i agree with you and and for the record i love arthur brooks but um as i've said in various speeches in his presence he for a think tank head he's no longer the president of ai but he was it is very weird to have a guy who dresses like um, the gay editor of a German fitness magazine. And, um, but I love the guy and he's heard me say that. So I'm not speaking out of school. He's a wonderful human being. Um, okay. You had another one. Had- I, I have another one. Um, um, and I, I got this from the internet, but I like it. Take like the Mona Lisa or other famous things that all dra- draw all the tourists. Never heard of it. And every day move it to a different part of the museum. So people are forced to like look at other art rather than just go in, get their one selfie, and go home. You like it, you <laughs> know. You a like great it. Idea. Yeah. That's a great idea. Great, a great idea. By the way, true story. Uh, when I was in high school, I well, first of all, I forgot to mention my dad actually tried out for Survivor. You mentioned Survivor earlier. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So somewhere out there, there's a tape lurking of my dad, my dad's audition tape for Survivor. I think David French has one too. I've though. never seen it. But yeah. I'm sure it would torpedo my political career. So. Shout out to John Gallagher. It's amazing I've succeeded this far in spite of that. Is is that your concern or is your concern like it would do just horrific damage to your relationship with your father? <laughs> uh, whatever. You know, it's, well, you know, it's an Irish Catholic family. We share our feelings so much. Uh, wait, what was I going to say uh, about your idea? I, I forgot. Oh, the, yeah. uh, he was moving stuff around the museum. Oh, I touched a painting in the Louvre when did, I was. Did you really? I did when yeah. I was in high school. Accidentally, I was just transfixed. I don't even remember what it was. And I just sort of instinctually put my finger on it. And I just got like yelled at by the security. Because but, you saw a booby? But I, I, <laughs> I thought there must be, I mean, I was like a 14 year old <laughs> Yeah, kid. that's why I figured. Yeah, uh, but that must happen more than we appreciate, right? Uh-huh. I mean, I'm amazed I didn't get put in uh, French jail, the Bastille. 
as it were. As it were. Okay. Um, uh, I got a quick statement and, okay. then, a, and then an idea. Uh, you disavow this podcast in all its forms. I, <laughs> I love, I love doing this. My chief of staff saw me leave with this bottle of whiskey, and I just love, I love the, I love the idea of my whole political team just shaking their head, just sweating bullets. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Okay. Uh, just a statement. Checks, physical checks, should not exist. Where, come on, nerds, where are you on the technology that doesn't involve me signing and waiting, uh-huh. waiting in some cases, 20 minutes, uh-huh. for someone to bring back a check? I don't keep a receipt of the check. How has technology not solved this check problem? How is there not an easy interface with OpenTable where I could prepay the check or just have my credit card on file mm-hmm, and I can mm-hmm. just leave the restaurant when I want to leave if I'm on a tight timeline? So just a statement, check should not exist. Leading into an actual... Which is going to be taken out of context by your opponent in the next election yeah. as you calling for genocide of the Czech Republic. That's right. I just want to be clear. Checks, <laughs> Checks should Another not exist. Another fun fact. High school, <laughs> we had to do reports, group reports on countries, and ours was the Czech Republic. Uh-huh. And we did this whole joke where you had to you had to cook traditional foods uh-huh. until we brought in Czech mix. And we thought it was very, <laughs> very funny. Uh-huh. Shout out to Brian King on that one. Uh, okay. I'm revealing a lot of really incriminating stuff. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, so in between deployments, uh, I deployed twice in close succession. I had about a month uh-huh. where I was back home. And so I, I tried to hang out with my friends mm-hmm. uh, during that month and uh, hung out with two of my friends from college, uh, Jason Lilderstrom and Andrew Elkin. And uh, we had somehow found out that if you watch the director's commentary of Total Recall, where it's Arnold Schwarzenegger and the director, Paul Verhoeven, uh-huh, uh-huh. and you drink every time they agree with each other. Uh-huh. That, that is a fun thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> and it is, because uh-huh. they agree with each other a lot. Because uh-huh, uh-huh. they're just saying, yes, exactly, totally, <laughs> exactly. But that, that, that leads me to this question, Joe, uh-huh, uh-huh. Jogo, if I may be so bold. You, 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 you. What happened to director's commentary? Should we not be in the golden age of director's commentary right now. It should be, you don't have to buy the special DVD. Uh-huh. It should be easy to layer on director's commentary. You should have civilian commentary, like uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 yeah. layered over all these movies. What What's going on? I guess the idea in there is we do director's commentary for State of the Union, where you have a, a fun Democrat and a fun Republican commenting in near real time on what's happening during the State of the Union. But I'm just more concerned about the dearth of director's commentary in modern society. It's an interesting point. I've never been a huge director's commentary fan. Well, you haven't um, watched Total Recall director's commentary. It's on my bucket list now, baby. I'll be very clear about that. But um, it's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about it. You're right. You could have an entire Netflix section of just director's commentary stuff. Yeah. And given how net the whole point of Netflix is to get that marginal additional consumer, why not do that, right? And I, I've learned that auteurs, as they're sometimes called, always are looking for an opportunity to talk about themselves and explain what their thinking was. And so there's probably, um, there's no reason why they wouldn't agree to do it. Maybe the financial incentive isn't there there because they're trying to sell new DVDs in the old days, right? Yeah. And now that there's no physical product, that it well, there was that sense. Star Wars, someone on YouTube just sort of put enhanced effects on the Obi-Wan Kenobi Darth Vader battle at the end mm-hmm. of episode four, Star Wars, mm-hmm. and made it look 10x better than it was with old technology. Uh-huh. I, I feel like there, we, we should be seeing kind of a, a golden age of that happening organically. 
online. Maybe there's no financial incentive, but. Maybe, and this is just crazy talk here, I understand, but maybe you are sufficiently busy as a United States congressman that you haven't found some vast internet subculture that already exists. It probably does. <laughs> I, admittedly, I don't spend a lot. Oh, but okay. And I just, because yeah, it's on the subject. Absolutely. I know I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, dominant. Yeah, 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 it's fine. I, I did have a, an idea here since we talked about Star Wars. A Star Wars spinoff, because we got The Mandalorian, which I really like, by the way. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It's great. That's all about the politics of forming a new republic. I like it a lot. I like it. A lot. I am. Uh, it's a it's a semi regular theme on on this podcast of how I think the best parts of all zombie movies are like the first ten or fifteen minutes of you're watching actual you're watching how the political system actually responds to stuff. Right. This was part of Max Brooks's idea for World War Z, the book. The movie is completely different. Of exploring that stuff like how does the system actually respond to these things and game of thrones so true story about game of thrones which i learned from john padoritz um game of thrones originally was just action-packed one action sequence or sex sequence after another not a lot of stuff and they came in too short in the pilot and the and the second episode and they're like crap we got to pad this thing so they put in dialogue Ugh, dialogue where people are actually explaining their motivations and talking about things in the past and 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 making interesting arguments about in justification for their vision of how power should be wielded and that's actually to me the most interesting stuff in game of thrones and i i think that's a great idea i think to me the best scene in all of game of thrones and i'm not like a huge game of thrones person mm -hmm. so i'm gonna get this a little bit wrong i think it's when when jamie lannister is captured He's in captivity right before he gets his hand chopped off. Spoiler alert, everybody gets his <laughs> hand chopped off. Uh, he taught, he's sitting there in like the mud and they're taught, you know, you're the oath breaker or whatever yeah, yeah, the yeah. frick they call him. Uh, are we allowed to say frick? We uh, are allowed okay, to say frick. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of profanity on uh, this podcast. Yeah, we're going to sure. have to do the E okay. rating, right? Aren't we, Caleb? With frick? Wait, wait, have we not cursed yet? Really? Wait, wait, wow. we're not, we're, we're, it's amazing how many curses are going on in my head. <laughs> <laughs> his name is Jackie Butts, yeah. and we're calling him that. Uh, uh, he's he's like he has this whole diatribe about you know well you know I betray my father mm -hmm. by keeping my oath, and if I don't kill the Mad King, then a thousand people die. And it was this beautiful distillation of hard choices in geopolitics that I found to be the most compelling ar uh, part of Game of Thrones. So it's interesting you say that because I think maybe the most interesting conversation in Game of Thrones is also with Jamie Lannister. Uh, fast forward three or four or five seasons where he's giving uh, the poison to, um, oh, the mom from the family who he, what, what was their name? Uh, Caleb's going to look it up. But he's giving poison to this Jackie woman, the, the, the woman who was responsible for killing um, the Boy King guy. And, um, and Terrell. Terrell, right. And, yeah, the Terrell family, right. The, the, who was crazy pleasing to the male gaze when she was a young woman in the Avengers in the 1960s, just for the record. People can Google it. Um, regardless, she uh, is talking about how terrible he is and how horrible he is and how um, uh, the terrible crimes that he and Cersei have visited upon the world um, will uh, resonate forever. And he says, not really, because we're gonna kill all those people. I mean, I'm really paraphrasing here, right? 
we're going to kill all those people. And the people who are left are going to be really happy with what they've got, which is a great distillation. Yeah. Olana Terrell um, is a great distillation of basically Marxist Leninist thinking of, of, you know, kill everybody who's inconvenient. And then the, in the utopia that comes afterwards, everyone will be grateful that they're in it. I love that. And it's, I thought it was really interesting. Well, this would be my vision for the spinoff uh-huh. on Disney plus, or we'd have to do it on some, well, it'd have to be Disney plus for the yeah. rights. It'd just be pure dialogue. It'd be pure politics I agree. and philosophy. Great. They sent there's lightsaber stuff happening. It'd be in the distant background and they'd be making fun of it. So like in Hollywood, the way you pitch a movie is you say, you know, uh, lethal weapon meets, Benji, right? And that's how people understand it. They think symbolically. Um, I think this is basically my dinner with Andre meets Star Wars. It is a dinner conversation between people in the Star Wars universe explaining where they're coming from. And I tell you, long before I was sophisticated about the art, let me put it this way. Long before I was as sophisticated as I am about these things, because some people would think I'm not sophisticated at all. Did you ever see um, Capricorn 1? Was this a spinoff of uh, Battlestar Galactica? No, 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 no. Oh. It's a fantastic, well, I shouldn't say it's a fantastic movie because I haven't seen it in 25 years. I remember it being a fantastic movie. It's got O.J. Simpson in it, by the way. And um, it's about how NASA gets, screws up something and they've got to have a moon landing or the politics of it or NASA is going to get defunded. So they fake a moon landing. And then the problem is, is like, some of the astronauts, the astronauts weren't in on it, right? It was like, like it was a technical malfunction. And at the last minute, they're like, okay, you're not going up, but we're going to do a fake moon landing thing, right? And, and then they start saying, we're not going on with it. So they have to be killed. And so it's a manhunt to kill all these astronauts. It's, I got to rewatch it. Anyway, I thought it was a wonderful movie. I, I, I almost cried when O.J. Simpson died in the desert of thirst. I'll, I'll admit this. It was long before he murdered anybody. And even as a 10-year-old or a 7 whatever I don't know how old I was, but I wasn't very old when I first saw this movie. I was like, I want a sequel called The Trial of Capricorn One, where they actually go after the deep state. Love it. Didn't know the term at the time. That murdered these astronauts while they faked the moon landing. And I got to tell you, Love it's, it. it's a tragedy that Jackie Butts isn't here because he is. he doesn't believe the moon landings were faked, but he is fake moon landing adjacent in his receptivity to conspiracy theories like that. Interesting. So interesting. By the way, there should be a whole, when the Dune movie comes out, I, I assume Jackie Butts will come on for a comprehensive analysis. I, I would hope. I would hope, but. I think uh, it's you. I think it's you, not me. Okay, okay. But that we'll, that we'll seemed work. like we got a lot of, so far. I we covered a lot of good territory. Baby here. Swiffer and Star Wars politics spinoff have been our, our strongest areas of agreement. I, I think that's right. I think yeah. that's right. And by the way, so how do you like the Jameson's Black Barrel? It's very good. I, I, I think yeah. it's better than Jameson. Some of the other spinoffs are really bad. Like the, um, Jam- the, they have a stout one, which is basically like, imagine pouring two shots of Jameson's into your warm draft of Guinness. That's what that tastes like. It's bad. And then they have a, a, a cold brew one, which is imagine taking a black coffee and putting two shots of Jameson's. <laughs> I mean, I know like, like for you as an Irish guy, this is like, you know, morning fuel, but like for the rest of us, it's, it's I went to uh, the Guinness, uh, whatever you call it, headquarters in Dublin. I did I was, too, yeah. Rucker Hauer is a big fixture at that. 
I don't remember that. Is Rucker because he was the Guinness Man for a while? Oh, I guess that's and right. And so I'm I'm wondering is Rucker Hauer to Ireland what David Hasselhoff is to Germany? Just does Rucker Hauer go to Ireland? That is the best SAT question yeah. I have ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Although there are people who would say that is a perfect example of the cultural biases of the SAT, if That's that right. were an actual SAT question. Because there are people in the in our in America, in our are great American family- Are we doing away family, with the SAT? Because this strikes me as the exact opposite direction we need to be going in as a country. I agree with that entirely. I agree with that entirely. Uh, my friend Ron Bailey used to say they've never made a test that a dumb person can score better on than a smart person. The CCP is just laughing at us right now. I, I agree. We're defeating ourselves before we defeat them. Okay. We're not going to get all heavy at this point in this, this, this movable feast of the podcast. Um, I'll give you a couple uh, quick ones. Both of these are from the internet. I want to be clear. I can't remember what sites I got them from, but I like them. Um, one is get rid of the drinking age, but instead make the ability to drink alcohol contingent on graduating high school. Interesting. Incentive structure. Incentives matter. And then second... Uh, start a peanut butter company called GIF, G-I-F, and then wait for the inv inevitable lawsuit from the peanut butter company GIF and let a court decide the correct pronunciation of GIF versus GIF. Jonah out. <laughs> That's a pretty good. That's all credit to internet person wow. who ever did that. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm loving the idea that there's five people out there in the internet universe that are really into our half baked ideas. <laughs> like well, maybe I'll, I'll go out of order here because your your first idea was voting drinking age goes down to 18 or get rid of it if you if you graduate high school if sheldon cooper from big bang theory graduates at 11 let him freaking have a drink I don't oh care. okay I don't well know. and as i think i've said on your show before in wisconsin mm -hmm. at any age besides 19 and 20 if you're with your parents at a bar you can drink is legally. that right yes yes and at 19 and 20 you can't no because you're technically an adult but oh. you're not legally able to drink it's a weird quirk Check wow. me on that. Like we should, we should, like, there, we should, we should segue in on this podcast now. The Alice Cooper song "19," not a boy, not a man. I'm, I'm, I'm 19, but I and I don't like it or whatever the lyrics are. Anyway, go on. Go on. Well, there I'm is sorry. a serious Ben Sassian point about being 18 means you should be a man at that point. Yes, and not being an extended adolescent. Uh, but I don't want to give Ben Sass any credit. I understand because he's a huge nerd, uh -huh. and the world should never forget that. Uh -huh. um, okay, your point about. High school maybe jump to this. Okay, I think you should. I think there sh we should connect online amnesty, meaning mm -hmm. you can be you can put all of your Twitter indiscretions and stupid stuff you said in high school into a memory hole, mm -hmm. and it will not be used against you for job prospects or if you want to run for office or whatever. To when you get to vote, and you can choose. So if you at 18 you're you're like I want to vote, then you're held accountable for anything you tweet or put online oh, after that age. Yeah. But if you want to wait till you're 30 and you want to memory hole everything that you said from age 12 so to 30. So when you say memory hole, you mean delete or just like it's there's some sort of liability protection. Uh, it uh, cannot be used against you. Interesting. But you're basically saying I am a responsible citizen and therefore my 
social media stuff is no longer, and I'm going to be act as a, a normal adult. And then the flip side of that would be you cap it at the end of life. Mm -hmm. There's a weird phenomenon going on I'm noticing with my parents where they all send email chains around. There's a mm -hmm. bo boomer email chain thing going on, which I don't quite understand. Uh -huh. And if you want to engage in that, that's fine and spread weird misinformation uh -huh. or disinformation. But then you surrender the right to vote if you're going to engage with that. So this is my solution to social media infecting our discourse. I like it. So, but you know, like, you know how there's a big thing in movies, most of them bad, but Lethal Weapon 2 was pretty good, where diplomatic immunity was like this, this plot device in lots of movies where you murdered somebody and it, diplomatic immunity. It was on the lawn of the embassy, yeah. you just shot someone yeah. in the head. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't actually really work that way, but okay, fine. There have to be some carve-outs, right? You cannot post on social media pictures of you wearing the skins of your victims like a dress. Oh, of and course. then be like, "Well, I now I want to vote, so no one can use you, this." You wouldn't be me. you wouldn't be allowed to commit crimes. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, yes. I just I just want to I, I just want to create a space where where people can have dumb opinions that uh -huh. they disavow later, and it isn't held against them when you know they're applying for a job that is an entirely understandable sentiment given the nature of this podcast that's right <laughs> <laughs> and i've given the your listeners a window into my high school okay so uh listeners may or may not know um i'm actually a big fan of the concept of geoengineering doesn't mean i want to do it tomorrow like let's do this half-assed kind of thing but one of my biggest problems with the climate change crowd is what they argue is that if, oh, let's put it this way. They say if, if the second I concede to their diagnosis, I then must also agree to their cure, right? And it may take me a while for me to be persuaded that you have leprosy, but once you convince me that, I, that you have leprosy, that doesn't mean I have to agree that your cure, which is like, um, I don't know, uh, eating a toad is the right recourse, right? Uh, so, because um, so much of the climate change people, what they really want to do is throw a wet blanket on economic growth. They want to um, stifle innovation. They want to stifle energy production, which actually improves the lives of so many people in so many different ways. Um, and so I'm open to the idea. I'm like, I, I'm willing to stipulate climate change is real. I think it's real. I don't think it's the problem that the extremists think it is, but I think it's a real thing. I think at this point we can agree on that. But that doesn't mean that we should be embracing, say, 800-year-old technology like windmills. I think that in, in the next 30 years, if we could figure out a way to reflect more um, uh, sunlight back into space, and there are all sorts of theories about how to do this, um, uh, from salting the atmosphere with all sorts of things to like just laying, literally laying out sheets that uh, like white sheets that reflect sun back up. Um, you could do all sorts of interesting things. So one of the ideas um, I want to put out there, if I can find it now, um, is, and this is actually being worked on. There's something called the Ideal Plant Project that is working on this, is bioengineered crops that would not exist in the environment normally except for the fact that they just aggress wildly aggressively soak up carbon out of the atmosphere. And 
Um, seems to me that's a better approach to a lot of these things is, is actually trying to deal with the problem. You know, when, when you have a disease, the ideal response to it is to cure it, not to mitigate your exercise so that the effects of your disease hurt you less, right? Is you want to cure things. We want to give the planet a pill that cures the fever. And like that's where I'm coming from on this. I like this. I would say it, it, it connects in my mind to a previous half-baked idea that I think you poo-pooed at the time. Possibly, possibly. Which was that we were going to go around collecting samples of, of just everything that's out there in the environment. And America mm -hmm. is remarkably gifted in this respect because we have a unique and diverse sort of ecology and mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. things like that and we would put it all in a huge database mm -hmm. that would that we'd give everyone in the free world access to mm -hmm. and it would allow us to leapfrog china when it comes to synthetic biotech and it would allow you to literally print the plant organisms that you're talking about mm -hmm, so there's mm -hmm. connection to this like in a previous okay, idea okay. i apologize for the previous poo-pooing um i don't recall the previous poo-pooing no. but uh you're a professional poo-pooer i am i am well that to be a conservative is to work from the default position that most new ideas, and this is a technical social science term, suck ass. <laughs> and um, simply by virtue of being new ideas. But th this podcast like is that. fighting against that. Like um, that. Do you have another one or I can riff off your space thing? Okay, go off my space thing and I'll come back to another one. No, go, go. You go. You go. Okay, so we're on environmental stuff. Um, one of the greatest crimes other than the genocide, which is like a big thing. Big crime. Uh, that the Soviets were responsible for is destroying the Aral Sea. Um, like you can walk miles into what used to be the Aral Sea. Walk, walk into the Aral Sea and find giant ships sitting rusting in the sun because they screwed up. So there are places on this planet, the Caspian Basin, Aral Sea, that we could figure out a way to reflood with ocean water. Ooh. And if the theory is that rising sea levels are one of the big problems of climate change, let's fix those places that used to be oceans or at least seas or whatever. And so that's part of my idea. But are you taking sea are you taking water from other areas into it or how are you We are we are we are doing some sort of Suez Canal Panama Canal okay. action and reconnecting the friggin' oceans with these places that have been cut off from the ocean. I love that. I love that. I have not, I will be honest, I have not worked out all I the I thought you were going issues. in a completely different direction <laughs> with that. Okay. I thought you were gonna suggest some way to derive economic benefit out of the ships that are sitting there, like turning them into no. bars or nightclubs or something. I like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm fine with that. There are places that do that. Yeah. While we're waiting for the yeah. water, you gotta yeah. get the timing right on that. The, uh, I think the original QE2 is, uh, the, the cruise ship is like a bar restaurant someplace on the Mississippi now. I think that's right. Okay, I have, uh, okay, we talked, you, you mentioned space. I forget in which, in which context. Uh-huh. Okay, we're having a brutal debate right now about Afghanistan, yes. right? You know, uh, both parties are coalescing around this idea of we don't want to be there. We want to focus on nation building at home, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. We're overextended. Do you want to nuke Afghanistan from orbit? Because it's the only way to be sure. <laughs> this is actually related. <laughs> Dear God, you're a monster. 
<laughs> no, I don't want to nuke Afghanistan from orbit, but I want to do something from orbit. Okay. Which is well, we all want to do something from orbit. <laughs> this. Remember the old Jewish space laser controversy? I do. I do. It's okay. it's seared into me. Okay. Yes. So, uh, honestly, I'd be disappointed if the state of Israel did not have space laser technology. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But what there is a serious argument that dates back to the 60s and the 70s around a concept called kinetic bombardment or orbital bombardment. Yes. And to the extent I understand it, you basically have tungsten rods that are deployed from satellites mm -hmm. that become incredibly effective kinetic weapons mm -hmm. when they're targeted down at Earth. Mm -hmm. They're impossible to defend against one. Right. And you don't need an explosive warhead on them, right. too. So if we were- They're basically meteor strikes. Like this, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Very small meteor strikes. Yeah. But even the smallest projectile could have a huge impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if our intelligence was good enough and our targeting was good enough, this would actually solve our thorny problems of not wanting to have a bunch of ground troops deployed to the Middle East mm -hmm. if we had what is coll colloquially referred to that's a lot to say. <laughs> really Colloquially. After four whiskeys, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's a tougher uh, As rods from God. Oh, I like it. So rods from God. There you go. Uh-huh. Everyone was making fun of the space laser idea. I just turned it into a legitimate idea that um, solves a thorny geopolitical problem for the United States. Um, I like it. Um, so it, 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 if you haven't, have you watched The Expanse? I have not. Okay. So The Expanse is one of my favorite shows because it's sort of getting, going back to wow. um, our conversation about like uh, my dinner with Andre with Emperor Palpatine or whatever, you know, like talking about the politics behind these things. The Expanse takes place in the near future where we don't have faster than, life tra faster than light travel, but... We've had, um, um, we've, we've colonized Mars, which is that basically Sparta now. Okay. And then there's the outer belt, which is the asteroid miners who basically have pigeon English and they are, um, low rent. Uh, they're, they're looked down upon by the rest of humanity as like scuzzy people and they're becoming rebellious. And their biggest weapon is they figured out how to nudge asteroids and other stuff into uh, impact range with Earth. And, and, and spoiler alert, people who haven't gotten to the last season, one of the tricks they've come up with is to defeat Earth's defenses because Earth's got a lot of defenses. And it's, it's, there are no lasers. It's all like rail guns and that kind of stuff. Supposedly, according to space nerds, and I'm sure you know some and you might even be one, the technology is actually remarkably consistent with where our technology would be in like 150 years. Um, I'm sure that in 150 years, that won't seem like an accurate statement. But um, uh, one of the things they do is they figure out how to like paint an asteroid with basically stealth paint. So the radar systems can't see it, and then it like destroys a couple American cities and that kind of thing. Anyway, it's a great show. I really wow. like it. Me and David French are big fans of it, and I say that advisedly because David French also likes Aquaman, which 
you know, should have you on an island in the Pacific. I once had a beer with David French in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Did you really? Yeah. 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 Good man. He is a good um, man. I, you know, this makes me think of, and I don't know why. Uh-huh. You watch Justified? I love Justified. Justified. Yeah. Remember the, uh, I think it was the first episode of season two or three where there was a bad guy who was short-lived called Ice Pick. Mm-hmm. And Ice Pick's thing was he stabbed people with an ice pick and then he shot him in the face afterwards. Yeah. And Raylan had this brilliant thing where he figured out in his mind why he was called Ice Pick because they were sitting at a table and they were both going to draw on each other. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he just pulled the tablecloth closer to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just picked up his gun and shot him in the face. Yeah. I don't know why that reminds me of that, but it does. I it's, like it. I like it's it. Like, I, it's I remember like that scene. That was, redefining the problem uh-huh. in a weird way where yeah. we're so focused on this high-tech solution, but a simpler thing is relevant in the moment. Kobayashi Maru. Because, that's right. um, uh, actually, I don't, and I don't want you to tell me this story is wrong because it will make me mad or sad, um, but... That Kirk uh, cheated on the Kobayashi. Movie. No, 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 no. That, I'm comfortable with that. Um, so for color, because I've never told the full depth of the story, I'm not going to do it now. The greatest road trip of my entire life was a 36-hour train ride from Prague to Istanbul. Lots of things happened. Interesting things happened. But one of the things happened, the guy I left with was a... Um, um, former city manager of St. Cloud, Florida. And he told me this. And and again, I don't want to be... Dis- so listeners, if this story is true, not true, I don't want to know because it's print the legend stuff. But he was telling me how the Israeli Air Force, like Northrop Grumman or Boeing or somebody, was trying to sell them some rear array radar in the 1980s that would allow them to spot planes further back behind them. And um, it was going to be like a $20 million, and these are $1984 or whatever, some major up, you know, like major upgrade to their radar system so they could spot it. And for each plane, it was going to be like $20 million. And the Israelis looked at it really closely, but they actually care about cost overruns because they actually, they're in a, you know, you lose one war, yeah. you're done kind of thing. Nothing right? so concentrates the mind. Yeah, exactly. Have an and so they looked at it really closely and they liked the technology, but at the end of the day, they decided, um, no, we're going to pass. And instead they welded like 1395 rear view mirrors on the sides of their jets. <laughs> and again, I don't want to know that this is wrong. It may be, but I. this is the story I was told. I love this story. I want to take the story to the prom. And um, <laughs> it's, but I love that kind of problem solving, kind of like yeah. you're in the mix and, you know, ideals. This is one of the problems that America has, I have to say. It's one of the problems with being the richest country in the world is you look at things in terms of the biggest, you, you look at things in terms of, let me write a check for that. You know, let let me just spend the most money rather than like being someone in the mix in a situation with limited resources and trying to figure out the best solution in reality. And that's, it's like the Apollo 13 locked the nerds in a room and duct tape it together. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 
And we need more of that in America. Can I, can and that's hard to cultivate. Because that's gonna I want to come back to that as my concluding. Okay, comment. fair enough, fair enough. Fair, okay. All right, so come up with something else. Okay. Uh okay. So originally I did okay, before vaccine passports became controversial, mm-hmm. uh, I did have an idea. And so just that just you know, listeners beware. This was prior to the whole vaccine passport debate. Uh, before you get going, uh, let the record show that we're working more on the black barrel than we are. And, and I want to say the Amador is actually pretty good. I, you know, I, but this is just easy drinking. It's really, you yeah, gotta, you gotta admit my, you know, my Irish ancestors. I quoted <laughs> an Irish movie on a podcast recently. And then I was like, Ooh, I'm not allowed to do that. It was the commitments. The commitments could not be made in 2021. Because I just of the frontal nudity? The frontal male nudity? Is there frontal male nudity in commitments? When? Uh, I felt triggered by it at the yeah. time, but I haven't seen it in 25 no, it's years. Just, so. it's just even Maybe basic non-offensive humor is no longer allowed. Yeah, no, but I, I agree. It's a group. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I Early on, the thing was, we, we should have actually encouraged people who had the antibodies to get out there and live yeah. their lives, right? Agreed. Particularly Agreed. if you were in the non-vulnerable population. Agreed. So my thought was you could have <laughs> a scarlet A uh-huh. that you could wear around if you had a positive antibody test. Without <laughs> the little bar that connects the A, it would just be two sort of things. Uh-huh. So that when you actually got the vaccine, you flip it around and it's a scarlet V uh-huh. for vaccine. Oh, like and it. then you're just able voluntarily, of uh-huh. course, if uh-huh. you want to. Yeah. But it's just a bit, we've done a terrible job of incentivizing people to get the vaccine because we're telling them nothing changes after you get the vaccine. And it should be, you get the vaccine, we get shots in arms, then you can live your life and you don't have to wear a mask. And by the way, there's a, a side, like a, a corollary to this idea that I'm going to give credit to the health director in Appleton for coming up with because I visited their vaccine facility last week. Uh-huh. We're trying, okay, we have two problems right now. We, we went from a distribution problem with the vaccines to a supply problem where we couldn't get enough vaccines out there because Pfizer and Moderna were operating at the limits of their industrial capacity. Uh, now we're going to have a demand problem where there right. just aren't going to be enough people that want the vaccines. Right. So we need to have vaccine diplomacy, get people out there, say, you want Aaron Rodgers out there doing a PSA saying, get the vaccine. It's not, you know, it's a good idea. Here's an idea because uh, restaurants and bars have suffered unusually over the last yes. year. Uh-huh. A shot and a beer. I like it. You get the shot. You get a token, time delayed, two weeks, because uh-huh. you got to wait two weeks, that gets you a free beer at a local bar. I like it. And so you patronize the beer. You celebrate getting the vaccine, and you patronize a local business. We stimulate the economy while helping save lives. Boom, shot and a beer. I like it. I got no problem with it. I w- I feel like you shouldn't have to wait two weeks for your beer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I, I want to be clear about this. I just like, it works so much better. It if would work got, better if you could immediately go out. If you've got the nurse sitting I don't there know what the in your pink, telling us. you know, jumpsuit thing, and she's got a big stein of a frosty mug, and you go in, and you get your shot, you drink your beer, and you go home. I mean, I think that's a better way to do it. Okay, no, so maybe- no one's going to get a drunk driving thing with one beer in them, right? So. Well, depending on how much you weigh, I guess. Uh, or how okay, strong so you are, because uh, that's let's, your let's, biggest priority. Let's crowd yeah, that's right. <laughs> let's crowdsource the perfection of that idea to your your uh, legion of listeners. But okay. The okay. the fundamentals of the idea remain the same. Okay. Um, this would work great in Wisconsin, by the way. People it, like drinking beer. Okay, so this is not a it's not a half big idea because I've seen it in reality and I may have talked to you about this, but I have to say 
So back when I was persona grata rather than persona non grata on the right, I used to give a lot. Before of, you betrayed Trump? That's right. Before, um, before I denied him three times, <laughs> um, uh, I was in, uh, I gave many speeches actually in Wisconsin, including at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, which has a fantastic bar, by the way. The the Ratzkeller or Beer Garden, whatever that's the thing called? Oh, the Union. Uh, the, the It's big and wood and it's a beer garden thing. It's, it's good. I like okay. it. Okay. But anyway, so um, one of the things I love to do, and we don't need to get in the weeds on this, is when I would give speeches there, I would point out the names of various auditoriums and buildings that were named after racist eugenicists. But again, we don't need to get into that. Um, the There was a bar that they took me to. State, I want to say it's State Street Brewery, but I don't want to get it yeah. wrong. But it's on State Street. Yeah. And I love this like... The Abominable Snowman Loved Daffy Duck. I want to name it George. I just loved it. It was, what they did was they had a commodity system where if the price of one beer on tap went too high, if the demand for one beer on tap went too high, the price rose. And so the price for another beer on tap lowered. And so like, over the course of the night, they actually had like CNBC lines on a monitor where I love that. it was real-time market pricing for the beer. So if no one was ordering Pabst Blue Ribbon, it lowered to like two bucks a pitcher. And if everybody was ordering Sam Adams, whatever, it was like nine bucks a pitcher. And all you had to do was like to change the price was have a lot of people order one pitcher or another. I thought this was... Like this unbelievably distilled example of the beauty of capitalism on State Street in Madison, Wisconsin, it made me want to cry. I loved this thing so much. I love that so much. Let me take it to another level. Okay. I think that those students who were in that bar should get a course credit for that, mm -hmm. for economics. Agreed. And I think particularly at a time when higher education may not realize it in the UW system, Madison will survive, but there are some four-year UW colleges that will not survive 10, 10 years from now because the coronavirus pandemic has revealed that the value proposition for higher education is not what it once was. Mm -hmm. They need to evolve. Yeah. They need to adapt and overcome. They should be thinking through creative ideas like this. I, I love that a thousand percent, and we need to reform our accreditation process to reflect that. Okay, I should have brought this up. I only have three more, by the way. I, I, I can't, I haven't numbered these things, so I don't know. I have to read through. But I should have brought this up when you were talking about the Swiffer baby stuff. Yeah. So I keep hearing about the Internet of Things, right? Which I know you care about deeply and smart technology. But most of my appliances are still pretty dumb. I just want to put that out there. And so I want like a microwave. Like you put something in. And the microwave has a television screen because, like, this stupid mesh thing that protects you from radiation, screw that. I, I, you, like, Caleb, our producer, was reaching for his pen because he thought butts. I was going to use a different uh, uh, yeah. word. Um, there should be a camera inside the microwave that can film what's going on in, like, really high def 
So like, cause I see more interesting than like looking through this weird chain link fence in your microwave, but the screen could also show you like videos that are exactly the length of how long your food has to oh, cook. Oh, interesting. And yeah. cause like, look, uh, I have my issues with New Gingrich. I think, um, um, like Mephistopheles has his soul in a cage somewhere on like the eighth level of hell. But he used to make this wonderful point because Newton is very smart. He's just weird, weird. Um, Newton used to make this point. We should stop calling iPhones and, and whatever phones because the phone function is just one of like 45 different functions. We should call it something else, but where he's wrong about that is that that's how language works is that late. Yeah. You know, we don't need to get into that, but my iPhone has lots of functions. My microwave basically has one function. My friggin' toaster has one function. I want more super intelligence imported into other appliances. Yeah. And like a microwave that like shows me interesting things on its screen. Cause it looks like a TV would be really cool. But if you think about it, you don't, why why is the screen concentrated on your TV? If you had an internet of things that talk to all your devices and leverage natural screens, that wouldn't mm -hmm. just be microwave screens. It could be your window, it could be your wall. You wouldn't even need the screen of a TV. Right. Right? You just had some sort of central system that projected that thing and talked to all your devices. Although this is very much, what was the um, Schwarzenegger movie that you were talking about earlier? Uh, we're talking about Total Recall. There's a lot of that, that in Total Recall, yeah. right? Where like the win you think it's a window and it turns out to be a screen, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. I but like that. I mean, that's interesting. Smarter tech. Um, okay. Which, okay, let, I'll go with this first. This is fun. Okay, so I used to be a staffer uh, in the Senate, and uh, this admittedly, who you were a staffer for? Uh, Bob Corker, the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Uh -huh. Good man, I uh, loved working for him. I was the Middle East guy on the uh -huh. Foreign Relations Committee uh, back when I had real power before mm -hmm. I became a member. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so if you're a staffer, you're using the Metro, you know, you're shuttling around DC, this and that. What about having a flatbed Metro car? added to the very end of every DC Metro train because it's demoralizing when the doors close before you're able to jump in to that last car. Mm -hmm. And so you give an option for people to jump on the flatbed like on it. the bottom and take your chances. Your ride is free. The Metro is not liable for injuries. So the obvious risk is death for certain, <laughs> but also a huge... B big spike in unpaid hill interns using it to save some money and uh, for happy hour, you know? So I just, just a little, fl and, and also let me make a broader point here, John, uh -huh, that I feel uh -huh. very strongly about that is somewhat serious. I feel like we've learned in this pandemic that we, you know, it, it's the Jonathan Haidt, Greg Lukianoff argument about coddling in the American mind. Mm -hmm. We've bubble wrapped kids for, kids for generations, right? And we just spent the last year injecting fear, mainlining fear into the bloodstream of all of our kids, right? We need to encourage some risk-taking. I, I agree. Some smart risk-taking. Yeah. Like the smart decision to jump on the flatbed. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, to be very clear, there's a non-trivial number of people 
who will die because they think they can make the jump carrying their bike. <laughs> but frankly, I'm fine with weeding them out of the gene pool. That's, you know, whatever. There's a Darwinian component. There totally is. I mean, like, I got to tell you, there's a lot of Darwinian stuff in all, a lot of your ideas. Strength. <laughs> I mean, like, this is, yeah. you got a certain Darwinian strain in you. But I like it. I like it a lot. Um, I am sure in a different frame of mind, I could find some problems with it. <laughs> there are but no I, problems. I have, I have no desire idea. to find these problems because yeah. I, I, I like it. Yeah. Um, gosh, there was something I wanted to point out and now I can't remember what it was. Um, uh, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to switch to an idea because I cannot remember what I was going to say, but it's going to come to me in that blinding moment of revelation, like Saul on the, mo on the road to Damascus. But until that happens, here's an easy idea. You're on the road a lot, I assume, right? Yeah. You stayed in some, not to be pejorative, mid-market hotels in your time. As I lived uh, out of the Holiday Inn Express in Abilene, Kansas, for two months doing my dissertation research. Okay, it was very. I loved it. It's great. I think they should put elevator buttons halfway down the hall as you walk towards the elevator. Oh, this so, is your best idea yet. <laughs> this is your best so idea. So that you hit the button and you let the elevator know you're coming. And by that's, the time you get there, it opens up. That's a genius idea. All right. Okay. I That could be the entire infrastructure plan. Right there. <laughs> that is That is a genius idea. Okay. So I got I got nothing to add to that. Okay. Other than All right. So they're gonna keep going. I will see, devote the rest see, of my political career, which will now be you know a year and a half long, to effectuating that. All idea. right. So this is how we should do the next half day episode. Is if you have nothing to add, the person who proposed something gets to go again. Oh God, dang it. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Um. So again, this comes from internet. Uh. This episode brought to you by Internet. Okay, Thank so you, Internet. I, so I, I, should, I should be clear to listeners. Um, the reason why I say Internet like that, it's one of these weird ticks I have. Um, I used to be a television producer. I used to produce this TV show for PBS called Think Tank. No big deal. And, uh, no, yeah, screw you. And um, uh, we had Judge Bork on, who I, coming out of college in the 1980s with, all the stuff with the work confirmation hearing, he was, uh, he was Zeus among us. I really revered Judge Bork. Anyway, we had him on a couple episodes, and I love Judge Bork. I love his wife. Um, great people, but I know this is going to shock you. His connection with popular culture was not hands-on and um so and this is early internet to be fair but we had him on an episode where he said so i understand that there are things going on on internet i don't go there but i understand that they're happening on internet and me and my reprobate friends for 30 years, 25 years now, have been referring to internet as internet, not the internet, not the web, not whatever. 
because we loved him love talking him. about it as if it was like an island <laughs> off of Catalonia. I mean, it's just like it was so wonderful. <laughs> and um and and because I knew his research staff, like when Bork wrote his pop culture book about rap lyrics, it was so disconnected from reality not because he was wrong about the rap lyrics the rap lyrics were bad but like like he had no connection with it anyway so anyway so that's when i say on the internet um now i don't even know where i was going where, i got where, one i'll step hold on, hold on, hold on. so wait hold on um okay so i think there see historians are going to debate themselves for years about where I was going with this, because I don't remember where I was going with this. But that said, I'm going to pick this other half-baked idea out of nowhere. Google should tell you what number person you are when you search for a term. <laughs> and if you're the first person ever to search for a term, you should get some sort of reward. Interesting. So, like, if you are, like, the... One billion nine hundred and fifty-seven thousandth person to say this freckle looks weird, whatever. But you should—that's reassuring like to that. you to know yeah. that there are other people out there yeah. who are searching for these things. But if you're the first person ever to search for, I'm being stalked by lesbian love goats. Yeah, you should know that. Yeah. Like, like you should know that. Like, you're a weird person, and this is a weird situation. So, anyway, yeah. So I like that. And if it was coupled with a creepy voice of, you're the first person to ever search for this term. Oh, my God. Yeah, can we? Hold on. Hold on. Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't want to screw up your, your punchline. But this is another one of my ideas. Siri and Alexa, there should be a setting that requires please and thank you. So that it encourages young kids growing up in this weird digital universe. I love that. To have good manners. And if you have, if you're trying to learn a new language and you ask Siri, you should be able to set Siri or, or Alexa to only respond to you in the language you're trying to learn. And if you get the pronunciation wrong or anything like that, it should correct you. I like that a lot. Uh, as a father, a new father, I, uh -huh. I really like that. I need the help of the robots to civilize my child. Uh -huh. um, okay, I got a good one for you. I think you're going to like this. Obviously, we had a uh, very intense debate about uh, January 6th and whether uh, members of Congress could object to uh, the outcome of the election in the states, whether they could try and overrule the state uh, delegates or the, the Electoral College. Delegates, I have right? steered this podcast clear of these political issues. Okay. So. I know, I know, I know. Okay. I appreciate that. Uh, I was... Uh, a notable uh, objector to the objectors. Mm -hmm. I, I did not mm -hmm. think it was constitutional uh, nor wise for the federal government to do such a thing. But, and this is a big but, a capital B-U-T, Jogo. I do think annually we should have a forum in which we just object to the various states themselves. <laughs> and... <laughs> and the problems with those states. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And I know your your wife is from Alaska, but uh -huh. you know, it could be something as simple as Alaska, too far away, cold, <laughs> a lot of bears that could maul you. Yeah, yeah, any, yeah, that's 
Fair. There should be an airing of grievances like for the it. various states that are not pulling their weight. State the festivists. Yeah, state state festivists, yeah. yes. I like it. We should object to problems we have with each state's while not objecting to the votes those states cast for president. Okay, so I like this idea. I really do. I have a more politically inconvenient take on this. You cannot blame, just as you cannot blame somebody for being born with a cleft palate or a unibrow or any of these kinds of things, right? You cannot blame Alaska for being far away. That's true. Right? I mean, it is what it is. It is where it is. It's not like, you can deliver all of your peer pressure and Alaska can move, right? It just, it is where it is. That's true. But criticizing states for the crap they can change seems to me entirely valid. Yes. So frankly, if your idea were implemented, Florida would end up just spending enormous amounts of time in its bathtub, hugging its knees, cutting itself because they could change all sorts of things about themselves. They choose not to. Well, this actually leads me to my final idea. I don't know if that's all right for me to transition. Final idea for this podcast, not your final idea. Theoretically, I'll have more ideas in the future. I don't know. This is really, we're at the limit of my creativity. Uh, We need some way. Okay. So Jonah, Jogo, if I may be so bold, just to call you that. <laughs> yeah, you may. If I can call you Jackie Butts. Uh, we've really started a revolution, I think, with these half-baked ideas. Mm-hmm. It started mm-hmm. off as just a, a throwaway comment, and now we've really captured the nation's imagination with these podcasts. How do we turn that into action? There's got to be some way where we can test these half-baked ideas going forward. Have you ever seen the movie Contact with yes, Jodie Foster? I don't really even remember this movie or whether or not it's good. <laughs> but there's a scene that always stuck with me. Uh-huh. When she is in the spaceship that they've built for her, uh-huh. and they're going, she's going up to the whatever planet, and it's it's she's freaking out because things are going wild. Mm-hmm. And then she just unbuckles her belt yeah. and steps out of the chair. Yeah. And everything gets calm. Yeah. And it turns out the humans, being humans, built the chair into the design, deviating from the design the aliens sent them, right? We layered an additional bureaucracy onto the original design. We didn't need the chair. The chair would have killed her Mm. were it not for the fact that she stepped out of it. There's similarly, there's gotta be a way we can test the null hypothesis of things we don't need that the federal government is telling us we need. How do we action some of these half-baked ideas? Okay. Is it a DARPA for half-baked ideas? Is it a every year one state volunteers to test one of these half-baked ideas and we give them liability protection for the results and a reward if it works? There's got to be some way we can put this into action. Okay, Jogo. Grasshopper. Um, You misstated part of it. In contact, it was the humans who required all the... That's what I said. No, you didn't. You they said de- the I said they deviated from the alien design. All right. Well, well, that's what I meant. We'll play it back. Fair enough. Okay. But all right, so I agree with you. I think you've stumbled on in your weird cheese curd eating way, way of Wisconsin neophytes. 
onto a very important point, which is, yes, we should allow people to figure out different ways to navigate life. And I'm totally with you. Um, I would rather, I don't mean to sound like I'm going through puberty when I say rather, uh, but I would rather we lived in a country where we didn't have to designate one state where, okay, so it's Thunderdome, you guys figure it out. Yeah. But rather it's 50 states where people get to live the way they want to live. And um, I think that the the best way to figure out how to navigate our course through uh, like I, I'm several like we literally have almost killed one bottle of whiskey and we're we're making good product progress on another. I've just been drinking water. I yeah, I know, I know, but you know, because it's it's not it's not Wisconsin beer. But um, uh, what what humanity is about is trying to figure out the best way to navigate our course forward and letting more people figure out how they want to live, what is the best way to live, is a way to crowdsource civilization. And one of the wonderful things about Western civilization is that has been our approach, which is why Western civilization is more advanced but up until recently, because a lot of other civilizations are ripping us off. Um, why we've gotten so far, we've gotten as far as we have. And this is one of the problems I have with a lot of people on the right, is that they want to come up with their own one-size-fits-all approach to American politics. And that is... That is not only anti-American, it's just dumb. You know? It requires a tolerance for failure, though, that I worry we don't have any political incentives for. Right? Uh, right. And that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at. It's like a way to insulate the states from the negative externalities of experimentation. And I don't quite know how to get there. So I want to crowdsource that idea but, to but, your listeners. Well, well, one of the things you could do is, I think, I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. There is a town or a small city in Texas, I think it's Texas, that opted out of Social Security in, in like 1982, and they went their own way with retirement plans, and it worked better. Um, I want, like, first of all, if you, if you send more decision-making power back down to the local level possible, you will have some people who make really terrible decisions, dumb friggin' yeah. decisions, but everyone else will learn from them. And moreover, so much that is wrong with American politics today is about how people think they're their cold and personal forces controlling their lives. Well, okay, send power down the most local level possible and let people control their lives. And they might make mistakes, but they might rise to the occasion. Could I make a comment about, I think they're, they're, okay, so the country just went through this once in a generation test, right? In the form of this pandemic. A once in a century. Century, right? Yeah. yeah. So theoretically, we should have learned a lot of things from that. Some institutions performed well, some states performed better than others. 
other institutions just failed completely. But I feel like the federal government coming in over the top and just like funneling a ton of money to the problem is going to obscure our ability to actually learn from that process and get sort of the positive externality of what is unquestionably a hugely negative event because we won't learn from it, right? Because the federal government will bail out San Francisco for $650 million of debt and et cetera, et cetera. Does that make sense at all? Like no, we're, we're sort of sense. like diluting federalism. No, I mean, that, that's one of my biggest problems with the infrastructure, infrastructure stuff is that it's, it's kicking the can down the road for the decisions that local governments need to make. It's just simply bailing them out. And we were talking about earlier about how if you're stuck in the Hindu Kush and you have to fight it out with knives and rocks, you make certain decisions. If you think that there's always somebody who's going to come in with air support financially or literally, you're going to make different decisions. Okay, so... I have a whole uh, uh, pop culture section of this to end on. Okay, unless good. you have final. No, no, no. I, I, I'm good because I understand. Like, I can. Like, Caleb is white knuckling this because he's looking at us like because we're drinking way too much whiskey, and he's like, "This could go bad, and there could be editing problems." So let's 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 put a clock on this. Okay, so, we're gonna go to like six more minutes. Okay, six more minutes. Okay, so I just usually we exchange uh, recommendations about pop culture at the end of this. I'm going to highly recommend, and I may have done this prior on the previous podcast. Uh, and this, this uh, I think, is in line with our previous um, recommendation about the Star Wars political mm -hmm. show. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Conspiracy Theory. Not Conspiracy Theory. That's with Mel Gibson. Uh, Conspiracy. Okay, Which, I saw the Mel Gibson thing. Conspiracy, the, the conspiracy is about is a, it's a Tom Cruise. No, no, it's a it's a meeting. It's the final solution in World War II. It's a meeting of all the Nazi officers. Yeah, that's Tom Cruise. No, no, Tom Cruise is not in it. It's Kenneth Branagh and a bunch, and it's Colin Firth and a bunch of other uh, actors. Maybe I'm getting the the show wrong. I think it's called Conspiracy. Stanley Tucci plays Eichmann. It is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. And it, it is all just a conversation around a lunchtime table about the final solution. And it gets at all sort of like the banality of evil conversation and things like that. I highly recommend it. All right. So I feel like you're talking about the Tom Cruise movie. Nope. Not okay. talking about the Tom Cruise movie. Okay. So there are many movies. Donald <laughs> All right. Um, I'm, I'm just recommending that it's amazing. Know. It's absolutely amazing. I watched it with my wife on Valentine's day. It was very romantic. Uh, that is my one endorsement for the day. Uh, line of duty. If you're watching line of duty, British cop show. Amazing line of duty. Just going to throw it out there. Every time they address someone by their full rank and name, you can drink. It's a, it's a fun sort of callback <laughs> to the, because they just say DCI Gates, DCI this, DCI that. Uh, and then the movie Palm Springs. Have you watched Palm Springs? I have not. So good. So funny. I think one of the best movies of the year. So those are my pop culture recommendations. Okay. For the year. 
So, um, what do you think about on these singing shows having only blind hosts or at least Stevie Wonder? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I've never thought about it until, what? This, until this very moment. <laughs> Uh, but th- isn't that what they're trying to get at with the blind singer? Where they have like masks on these people. It is. And- it is. And they don't understand. Uh, I, I can get really theoretical on this really deep, really quickly. America culture, American culture is vastly more conservative than all of this BS red versus blue shit because liberals believe in meritocracy too. And there is this like weird thing. Like every now and then there are these ideological imperatives that require liberals to say meritocracy doesn't matter. But then whenever they fall back, just being Americans, they care about meritocracy a great deal. And like the blind singer, the, what, what is it called? I don't know. The mass singer. Mass singer. Yeah. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden it's like, well, that's American that's American culture. Sorry. Well, Caleb. Get it. Edit that out. Caleb. Okay, I got book recommendations. Okay. You want to do go, that. go. Book. Okay, this is not a recommendation. It is a statement of fact. I finally read uh Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. Mm-hmm. And I thought it absolutely sucked. <laughs> and I think Cormac McCarthy, notwithstanding the road, which I think is a singular achievement, is a bad writer. And I will not read another Cormac McCarthy book okay. again in my life. So, boom. Sorry. Okay, go ahead, can, please. Can I ask you a serious question? Do you like being a congressman? I mean, seriously, like, like uh, you're a good dude. I mean, like, like I like. We uh, have our disagreements and all that kind of crap. Yeah, yeah. yeah but you're yeah. a good dude. Do you like being a congressman? I love the. Uh, I love. I love really two things about it. Um, uh-huh. I get to go around my district and just like meet with a bunch of people and tour di- businesses and this and that. And it's, it's almost like, it sounds cheesy, but you get to understand your district, like the place you grew up in better than you ever would have before. Just sure. because, okay. and like all the cool stuff that's happening on the ground, like from the ground up. And then I love the committee work, like on the armed services committee, I'm doing some cool stuff. I'm co-chairing a supply chain vulnerability task force with the list slot from Michigan. That stuff's awesome, and I love the def- the intersection of like defense, tech, U.S.-China competition. I love that stuff. I hate fundraising. The current political environment, I'm just like not suited to at all. Uh, I am not good at social media. I'm like, I don't. I just, it's not my thing. Uh, so that stuff sucks. And the the feeling that there's no incentive for doing good work is like not a good feeling. If that makes sense. So do you think? Given your experience, when did you, when did you get elected? What was your? 2016. Okay. Yeah. So it's 2021. It's been five years. That's the best math I can do, right? That's, yeah. That's, a, that's where I get. Yeah. Yeah. So um, do you think in these last five years, America has gotten better or worse? Well, I think um, I never thought about that. <laughs> I think unquestionably we've gotten worse, right? Because we've become we've we've gone to war with ourselves. 
right? It's just like, I, I so, how do I put this? I spent a lot of time thinking about, as I said before, US-China competition, what I would call a new Cold War, which you've argued unpersuasively against, using that phrase. Uh, <laughs> um, what strikes me as the difference between the old Cold War, as someone who wrote his dissertation on the old Cold War, and the, and the new, is that there seems to be no consensus that we're the good guys and that we deserve to win. Mm. And that's a huge problem. And I've struggled to overcome that. And uh, it kind of gets to your book about just a basic sense of gratitude of, yeah. I mean, if you, I mean, if you, if you're an American citizen, whether you were born American citizen or you came here uh, and became an American citizen, I mean, you really did hit the jackpot. Yeah. By any measure, like historically, I mean, compared presently to any country, that really worries me. And I, I've just struggled to overcome that divide in a political environment that seems to reward just telling people that the other side wants to destroy America and doesn't reward constructive solutions. And so we seem to be growing more divided as a country. And, and the external threat posed by China is not having that galvanizing, unifying impact of, hey, America, like we need to get our ish together right now. And we don't need to agree on everything. We don't need to sing kumbaya and hold hands, but like there are a few things we need to do. We need to have the best K through 14 system in the entire world. Like we need people to work and bust their butt. Like we need all the exciting next generation high-tech manufacturing firms to be located in America. Like, I don't know. We don't seem to be having that conversation as a country, if any of that makes sense. No, I'm saying we don't seem to have be be having that conversation we're not having that conversation <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean we're just not and uh, i appreciate you and caleb is laughing because i sound like i'm drunk because only because i am and caleb is literally he's gonna have he's gonna, he's gonna have to uh he's gonna have to speed up your your point. Two so X. So Caleb is losing his fecal matter. Um, Not just Caleb. All these nerds in the back. Uh, yeah, all these nerds in the yeah. video. So look. Nicholas. Guy. Where's Guy? Yeah. Jackie Butts is so somewhere the in the, the metaverse. The problem with Guy. So the problem with Guy is that he is. He's basically. <laughs> I just have to go to the bathroom, Jonah. No, f*** you. <laughs> um, he is the British Benedict Arnold. He wants to be an American. Wait, he, how do you be the British Benedict Arnold? Wasn't Benedict Arnold basically British? No. That's a, that, well, maybe. But he wants to be American. This is the problem. And he doesn't like his own country. And he wants to be American. So I would love for him to come to AI and be my intern so I could really abuse him in the way he deserves to be. Yeah deserves to be abused but he's sitting there in free and you know i don't know you know the financial district like like laughing and sounding like mark stein at a coffee shop sounding like mark stein. you know no, no this is a serious thing he sounds like mark stein it's a problem wow it, it's a problem like if mark stein had killed my family and then i heard he him, might the way no, things are going 
No, no, no. Let's just say for the sake of argument that Mark Stein killed my family. If I heard Guy Denton talk somewhere in a bar, I would grab a ballpoint pen and drive it through his eye because I would be sure it was Mark Stein. He Who sound- is Mark Stein, by the way? I don't- okay, well, that is that is my favorite line of this entire thing because Mark Stein is a problem. But uh, he's this hybrid British-Belgian-Canadian figure who is big on the right. You're going to get in problems with this. But anyway, Guy Denton sounds like him. And it triggers me in a way that make me want to go on a three. It's a microaggression. Guy, stop the microaggression. Yeah. So anyway, so this has been a wonderful podcast. Great podcast. We will figure out how to edit this. Caleb is under. We destroyed two careers in one. Explicit orders to make this sound good for both of us. And if Caleb Caleb screws this up, thank you. Um, There will be punishments. All right. I'm told that I have to thank Congressman Gallagher for coming on. Um, I regret it. But given what he did for me when we were in prison together, yeah, I feel like we have to. I I have to step up, and you know, he he gave me his apple bomb Betty when I didn't want to. I didn't think I was ever going to eat again, so I appreciate that. So, Congressman Gallagher, thank you for being here. It's an honor. All right, it's about 12 hours later um, after an eventful podcast. I think everyone can agree. Um, uh, I was texting with uh, Congressman Gallagher this morning about uh, about our scintillating conversation. Uh, he was wondering how much damage he did to his political career. Um, I, I, I thought maybe not too much, but who knows? Uh, our producer Caleb informs me that I was actually, uh, which makes some sense, um, uh, outpacing uh, the congressman in 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 alcohol consumption uh, to a marked degree. I think Gallagher was playing sort of weird weird games with me to make it seem like he was keeping up when in fact he wasn't. Or maybe I'm just looking for some permission structure here. Regardless, uh, we got through. I think we got through all of his half baked ideas. Uh, I realized later that we didn't get all the way through mine, but I'll, I'll save some for another day. And I did want to talk about how, uh, you know, those contact lenses that get tinted when you go in sunlight. Um, I thought at the time I was planning on doing this whole Robert Shaw from Jaws bit, you know, talking about how once you, your contacts go black, you have, you know, a doll's eyes, that kind of thing, or Stephen Miller's eyes, that kind of thing. But, um, I just didn't get the opportunity. Um, thanks to uh, to Mike Gallagher for being such a good sport. Um, please let us know what you thought about this podcast, whether you were uh, ashamed to have listened to it or, you're, uh, or you thought it was a grand old time. I had fun. I think that part is kind of hard to deny. And, um, and thanks for Caleb for staying late doing this uh, with us because it was... Um, it was it was different than our normal work protocols. I will I will grant you that. And um, with that, I'll see you next time. No, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
This is a podcast.